Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. All right, I want you to do this. Grab your Bibles and go to, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 6, all right? And uh, if you want to also flip open to Luke 7, be in those two, you'll see some of these scriptures on the screen, but we're the kind of church that we want you to have an open Bible. Here's why. Don't trust me. <laughs> I want you to look at these verses for yourselves, particularly today, because I'm going to read some verses that you won't believe they're actually in the Bible. You've read them before. But I don't think we actually take them very seriously. And so we're going to take a look at them today. Take a look at this photo right here. I don't know if you recognize this photo. This is from actually 2002. This is Martin and Gracia Burnham. Uh, They worked for this organization called New Tribe Missions in the Philippines. And Martin was a jungle pilot. He would fly supplies into these very remote places where there were no roads, drop off supplies, and then fly out. In May of 2001, uh, Martin and Gracia were on their, uh, their wedding anniversary. It was their 18th wedding anniversary. They went to this little resort in the Philippines in the middle of this no- the night, bang, bang, bang on their door. Armed, militant Muslims break into their facility, take them away, abduct them, put them in a boat, and they are captured for, don't miss this, 376 days. This photo was taken at the end or somewhere near the end of their journey in this. Um, At night, to keep the bugs off them in the jungle, they had nothing more than a potato sack to keep them clean. During this time, their captors were trying to evade the Filipino authorities. And so the the way they did this is they just kept marching them. They just kept marching them through the jungle to stay one step ahead. Their captors had 17 gun battles with the Filipino authorities. The final gun battle was June 7th, a year after they had been captured. And in that gun battle, her husband was killed. Martin was killed and Gracia was rescued. And she made it home to the United States to her, her three young kids. Uh, she went on to write a couple of books about her experience. One is entitled this, In the Presence of My Enemies. And in the book, she details this. She, she details the violence and, and the, the, the hatred and anger she had at these captors. But also what she had been learning her entire life from Jesus. Things like this in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, here's Jesus' words, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. And she would think, God, my enemies are right here in front of me right now. And you want me to love them? And instead of excusing that verse, she took that verse seriously. And there were moments where she's like, no, God, I can love them and I can forgive them. And then they'd be marched through the jungle. They would get to a village and they would murder someone in the village. And she's like, nope, I don't love them. I hate them, God. 
I just pray that you would kill him. Uh, her captors were actually caught and given life sentences in a Filipino prison. Here's the remarkable part of her story, along with the fact that she survived. She was able to communicate to four of those prisoners. Four of those prisoners, after watching she and Martin for a year of their lives in captivity, gave their lives to Jesus and became Christians. Isn't that an amazing story? I don't know how you feel when you hear a forgiveness story, but just think about this right now. How do you feel right now in this moment hearing that story? You might feel, thank God it's not me, right? (laughs) I don't mind a forgiveness story when it's someone else's story. Maybe you're in awe of what God can do with the tragedies in our own stories. Maybe you hear that story and you're like, oh, my heart is just warmed towards that. Here's what I think. This is my opinion. I think every single one of us, We love a forgiveness story until it's our story. We love everybody else's forgiveness stories. We just don't love our own stories. Let me give you three reasons why. The first is this. It took us two minutes to tell Gracia's story, which doesn't begin to delve into the depth of pain that she experienced. We love a forgiveness story when we don't have to feel that kind of pain. The second is this. It took us two minutes to reach the end of their story, where there was goodness and hope. And even though there was tragedy, there was actually something good in the end. But you're like, listen, that took us two minutes. It actually took her 376 days just to be rescued, but much more than 376 days for this forgiveness to actually well up and there be goodness and hope. Lastly, her story involved a repentant group of people and hers, the forgiving person. And whenever you have a repentant person and a forgiving person, it leads to a pretty decent outcome most of the time, right? And maybe that's not your story. Maybe you're lacking a forgiving person, or maybe you're lacking a repentant person. And so in this moment, we love a forgiveness story, as long as it's not our story. So today, we're going to begin a brand new three-week series called this, The Power of Forgiveness. And I think this is why this is so critical that we get this. Listen to this. Three things. This is why this is so important for us to hear. We have all been victims. At some point in your life, someone's offended you, right? We were all victims. So here's the truth. We all have the opportunity to give away this gift of forgiveness to somebody else. Here's the second concept in the power of forgiveness and why it's so important. It's we've all been the offender at one time. And you're like, no, 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 I thought it was like a series on forgiveness where maybe I should forgive somebody. I'm like, well, you and me, everyone, we've all offended other people. We've all wronged people. So on the other side of this, we all have the opportunity to receive the gift of forgiveness. Here's the third thing, and I hope that you'll carry this today once you leave. I think the Bible has an incredibly high standard, a high bar of expectation on Christians that gets ignored all the time because it makes us uncomfortable. I'm going to show this to you today. But first, let me ask this question. What is the current culture of apology and forgiveness? I don't mean a culture in America. Think about it this way. What's the culture in the family you grew up in? And what is the culture in the church, your experience with other believers? 
in the area of apology and forgiveness. Now, I want to be super clear about this. I'm not talking about God, God's forgiveness of us. It's not this, this vertical forgiveness. I'm talking about horizontal forgiveness, forgiveness amongst people. Um, here's the culture. I think the first is this, and if you're a note taker, get ready to fill some things in. I can see some people smiling like, oh, good, here we go. It's the culture of avoidance. It's easier not to bring it up than risk rejection. See, if we bring up an offense, something that someone has done wrong to us, we risk losing relationship. We risk them denying their wrong, and then maybe they won't even just deny it. They're actually going to turn on us, so we just move on. And you know what's amazing? You can even find a verse in the Bible to justify it. Proverbs 19, 11, a person's wisdom yields patience and it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. And you're like, look, see, there it is. There's a verse. It's like, I'm never gonna tell someone when they offend me or when they wrong me because it's like, I'm just gonna leave it to Jesus and it's to my glory that like, I just overlook it. Okay, before you decide to be the spiritual doormat in someone else's world, what if that verse actually meant, well, you can overlook an offense, but it doesn't mean you don't bring it up. You can bring it up. Maybe there's resolution, and then you let it go and overlook it. I want to make sure that as we um, talk this through, maybe there's avoidance after you've confronted. Maybe there's been an apology and a, some kind of forgiveness, but then the relationship became so awkward. Has this ever happened? You're like, we just don't talk about it. We just avoid each other because like, I know there was an apology and I know there was forgiveness, but listen, I don't think the church has any strong concept about what it looks like to really reconcile with each other, to not bring it up again. So this culture of avoidance, the second part of our culture is this, it's the culture of excuses. Instead of listening to a person's complaint, we explain why we did what we did. And it becomes our excuse because of this. We also live in a culture of fear. We're, we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being defined by our mistakes from people walking away from us. Or even worse, someone's going to take our mistake, our sin, our wrongdoing, and go public with us, right? Let everybody know, and we're going to get canceled in our culture the reason why is because we live in this culture of, of fear, which leads to this. I think we perpetuate a culture of justifying. Most of the time, when you have offended somebody, it's because you've been hurt or offended, right? It's rare, I think, just my opinion here, it's rare that you have a problem or a conflict and there's an innocent party in there. But we look at it as, well, they were a little bit more wrong than I was and actually they started it, which is a good four-year-old mentality on conflict management, right? Why did you do that? They started it. We're just more savvy as adults. We just use different language, but we justify our behavior, what happens is this, at least this fifth culture, it is the culture of invalidation. When a person brings a complaint to us, an offense to us, and we excuse it, we push it aside, we justify it. If we don't acknowledge it and try to apologize, we invalidate their reality. We invalidate their feelings, we invalidate their beliefs, and we say things like, I'm really sorry you feel that way. Come on, we've all used that, right? Just because it started with I am sorry doesn't make it an apology when it's I'm sorry you feel that way. But I've been tempted to say that when I'm like, you're right, but if I could just explain why I did that or if I could explain why the thing that you did before that made me do that, then I could. 
and I invalidate the hurt. Now, I don't think those five things encompass the entire culture of what it means to apologize and forgive and how we mismanage it today, but those are five things that maybe we can get started with. Start recognizing how we deal with it. Now, I mentioned that the Bible has an re- incredibly high standard of what it means to apologize and forgive. And if you're not a Christian, then listen, it's not your standard. <laughs> I'm just saying. But if you claim to be a follower of Christ, there's an incredibly high standard. I guarantee you've seen all of these verses before and you've pushed them aside or thought, no, that, that's hyperbole. It doesn't really mean what I think it means. So let's talk about this. This is the crux of where we're going to rest the rest of the day. Jesus's expectation of apology and forgiveness. The first is this. Forgiveness is an expectation, not an option. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And you all know this, right? You can say this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. I'm praying this all by myself. Do you not know this prayer? Okay, you do, you do. So then you know what comes next, right? Here it is. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What exactly does that mean? You're making a request of God. God, forgive us now. And forgive us in such a way because we have already forgiven those people who owe us. That's what that means. At the heart of Jesus' teaching on here's how you pray, he says, our forgiveness of other people is an expectation, not an option. So let me say it this way. When you and I became Christians, we actually relinquished the right to not forgive. When you became a Christian, you might not have known it at the time, but you relinquished, relinquished the right to hold a grudge. Now, Jesus, that's not the only thing he said about it, and he wasn't even done. Two verses later, it reads this way. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you think that's bad enough, he goes even further. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Pause, time out. Because we ignore this. We think this is hyperbole. We think this is made up. We're like, we don't believe this. When you're in a conflict with somebody, take decades of hurt, abuse. Take Gracia's story. And in the jungle, she reads, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. What? I'm going to say it this way. Point number two, you will get what you give when it comes to forgiveness. That should shock us, almost offend us. Does Jesus, he doesn't know my story though. When, I mean, when he said that and someone wrote it down, but he doesn't know my story. I would question if you know his story. And the words he declared on the cross, when he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Have any of us been crucified (laughs) like Jesus and declared forgiveness? You will get what you give when it comes to forgiveness. Our willingness to forgive is a condition of our own forgiveness from God. That's crazy. 
But that's Jesus' word. Forgiveness is not only an expectation, but there are consequences for our hard-heartedness. See, what our lack of forgiveness reveals when it comes to forgiving other people is our own lack of repentance towards God. When people give their life to Christ or they think about their conversion, they think things like this. Listen, I prayed the prayer, right? But I wasn't that bad. I mean, if you knew my family where I came from, those people really need Jesus. And I wasn't nearly as bad. But listen, I prayed the prayer. But there's worse people out there than me. What we're revealing about that by not forgiving people is that we have not experienced the depth of the true grace of Jesus Christ over our lives. What this means, very possibly, is that we claim to have Jesus with us. And he's like, I'm not with you. Because you haven't experienced my grace. And if you're unwilling to show that kind of grace to others, then I'm not with you. And here's my fear. What if that means we not only don't have him today, what if that means we don't have him in the end? Do you see how serious this is? It is such a high standard with such high consequences. Um, now, it's interesting because up until this point, these all deal with us as the victim, right? These are about us extending forgiveness to people who have offended us. But Jesus, he turns the tables. The point number three is this, an apology, not forgiveness, but an apology. You're, you're the offender at this point. An apology is expected before we come to God for forgiveness. Let me tell you where this comes from. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to them. Not just apologize. Come back into relationship. Then come and offer your gift. I mean, here's the image 2,000 years ago. A man would bring his animal sacrifice to the temple to be killed for the forgiveness of his sins. And Jesus says this, when you come in and you pass through one court to another court to another court so the priest can make this animal sacrifice, stop, leave that animal, don't worry about it. There's something more important and bigger than your own forgiveness from God. Here's why Jesus says this. Don't miss this statement. We are on the verge of trying to substitute our integrity for a religious practice. Process that statement for a moment. But what this person was doing 2,000 years ago, they were taking a religious practice and trying to substitute their integrity for it. There's someone who I have offended and I have wronged. And yet I'm willing to go through all these religious practices to try and justify myself instead of going to that person that I have offended. Now, we still do this today. Not the animal sacrifice thing, okay? Just to be clear. But we substitute our integrity for religious practices. Maybe you came here today, and if we offered this moment of uh, quiet and prayer and said, listen, is there anybody who has anything against you? If I ask that question and you're like, yeah, I could think of a, a couple people. But in your mind, you think, but you know what? Listen, I'm serving God. See, I volunteered this morning. 
I'm a, there's some people who are working in some kids' classrooms today. They don't even get to be a part of, of this. They're going to watch this online later because they're serving and loving your kids. Listen, I'm serving. I'm giving. I'm generous with my time. I am generous with my finances towards God, towards people in need. Look at all the religious things I'm doing. Doesn't that make up for the fact that there's someone out there that might hold something against me? What we're saying is this, I'm not a bad person, I'm good. Therefore, I don't need to apologize because after all, they did something that was kind of offensive to me too. And we're taking our integrity and covering it over with some kind of spiritual religious practice. I'm hoping that what we're gonna see today is this. We don't really take Jesus' word seriously. <laughs> we just don't. I mean, what if we actually changed our, our, our church habit? Talents was up here just a minute ago, and he, let's take our offering. And there's some things we say around our offering, like, hey, if you're new to our church, this isn't for you. Like, you don't know us well enough to trust us with your money, right? But for everybody that you call church on the hill your home, this is, you call it my church, then let's give today, Right? We use phrases like that. What if we changed it? Hi, welcome to Church on the Hill today. We're, let's have an offering time. And let's bow our heads and let's just pray for just a moment. And if any of you, if there's someone who's holding something against you, maybe you wronged them or they think you wronged them. And maybe it was small, maybe it was big. I don't know. But uh, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And we're going to invite all of you who maybe someone's holding something against you. Please get up and leave right now. Because we don't want your offering. God doesn't want it. Because it's, it's not a righteous offering. It's, you're trying to do a spiritual habit that's covering over your lack of integrity in some area. So please leave. I've never heard a church do that kind of offering moment. But maybe it would actually be more in line with what Jesus was teaching. To set a new culture, I think we have to have a new courage. And it's a new courage to apologize before we move forward with Religious practices. There is no religious practice, habit, or ritual that can take the place of an apology and make it right with the person that we've wronged. I think it means this, if I can say it this way, and if this is too strong, sorry. I think it means that if we ain't right with people, we ain't right with God. Maybe too strong. Uh, Jesus then reverses this teaching in Mark uh, 11. He, he says this, Mark eleven twenty five. 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold something against someone else, meaning you are the victim and you, you've got this grudge, if you hold anything against anyone else, forgive them so that your father in heaven might forgive you your sins. I'm gonna say this in maybe a little bit of an offensive way, but here it is. Your grudge can lead to God's grudge. I know some of you are like, no, I've read the Bible. God doesn't hold grudges. Like, how dare you say that God would hold a grudge against me? How, how do you read this? And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Maybe I'm saying it in such a strong way so that it might actually shock us into the truth of what it is he's saying here. There's something conditional about our relationship with God and seeking the forgiveness of people that we've harmed. Forgiveness is to be extended before we ask God for our own forgiveness. Now, Jesus was super adamant about this principle, about apology and forgiveness, that when people got it wrong, he actually told stories about it. If you got your Bible, open uh, Luke 7. 
verse 36. Uh, the story begins there. There's a dinner party. Uh, the dinner party is at a Pharisee's house. Super religious guy. Uh, really upright, standing in the religious community. Uh, Jesus is invited as a guest, and then this woman shows up. She was not invited. She crashes the party. Luke describes her as, quote, a woman who lived a sinful life. You can color her background however it is you want, all right? She enters the house. She finds Jesus. She kneels behind him as Jesus kind of reclined as they would on their armed feet out, gets behind his feet and just starts sobbing over his feet. His feet are now wet with her tears. She lets down her hair, another no-no in the, this culture, and starts drying his feet with her hair. And then she takes this jar of perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet. This woman is one who knows the depth of her sin, but also knows the depth of the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. Is this their first interaction? Did Jesus see her before? Did she see him forgive someone else like her? But she shows this amazing love and appreciation. So what should the Pharisees' response be? It's his house. It's his party. And he has this thought to himself that Jesus hears, knows about. It says this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I think he thought it with that tone, that she's a sinner. It's Pharisee. Just made a huge assumption that Jesus would never want to be involved with a person who sinned that boldly. It was a wrong assumption. And I hope that there's somebody in this room that, man, you have sinned boldly in your life. Recklessly, crazily, for decades, in ways that are so shameful and so embarrassing. And I hope you're here today to hear this. Jesus wants an audience in your life. Because the Pharisee, he would have rejected her. He never invited her. He would have chased her away. And this is the greatest fear in our life that religious people will reject us and push us away if they really know who we are. There are many people who have left churches and given up on God because of their experience with other Christians who've pushed them away and turned them away to go, no, no, that person is a sinner because that person defined them by their greatest regret. But this woman shows this unbelievable remorse, but the Pharisee couldn't see it that way. What he saw was this person who is the greatest sinner. So today, in this fragile moment, Jesus tells a parable. And here's his parable. It'll be on the screen. It's in verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, a year and a half's wages. You do that calculation in your own head, right? Whatever you make for a year, year and a half's wages. You got the number, right? One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50, two months wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, the Pharisee's name is Simon. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. It's just common sense, right? You've judged correctly, Jesus said. 
Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, I, I love this. He turns towards the woman and faces her. So like he's directing this, but he then said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Verse 46, you did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, conclusion of the story, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And this is the principle. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. This last point, I'm going to say it this way. Our forgiveness from God, it empowers our forgiveness towards other people. That's this story. She recognized how lost she was. How wrong, sinful, dirty, broken, undeserving of God's love. And somehow she met this Jesus who looked at her differently than the religious people did. And because of this grace, she just pours out this love on Jesus. Our forgiveness from God empowers our forgiveness of others. So this is the point. When we fail to forgive, it reveals the grace that we still need to receive from God. Are you with me? I know you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. Woo. I know you got like the King James Bible with the tabs in it. And like, it's even underlined in some current spots, right? None of your pages are stuck together because you've never, you've never not read it, right? You've been around a long time. You're a Christian. And yet I would just ask, is there any unforgiveness that you've never extended to someone because they didn't deserve it? If that's the case, you might actually not know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, how much he loves you when you were broken, not when you had his word memorized. Um, Why are we so bad at apologies and forgiveness? First and foremost is this. We just don't take the Bible seriously. (laughs) We, We don't take Jesus' word seriously. When we read verses like this that should shock us, we, we just don't take it seriously. The second is this. Uh, the family we grew up in actually has shaped us more than the word of God has shaped us. This is fascinating. We've allowed the culture to dictate our practice of forgiveness. I have two questions at the end of your notes. I'm going to wrap this up here in just a minute. What was your family culture like regarding apology and forgiveness? I would love for you today to get together with the people that you know well, ask this question, discuss it. Reveal the vulnerability of this. How'd you grow up? What's your family like in the area of apologies and forgiveness? The second question is, how will you embrace the culture that Jesus has established for his family regarding apologies and forgiveness? Now, this is what I want you to get. Look around the room for a moment. Look around. Okay. In this room, we have all kinds of cultures. We have Indian culture, various kinds of Asian culture, English culture, black culture, African culture, Southern culture, hood culture, white collar culture. We were at a church picnic Thursday night and one of our friends, Christian, he showed up and on his shirt, it said straight out of, and I was like, I can't read the bottom part, you know, like straight out of Compton, straight out of LA. And he's like, straight out of Liberia. (laughs) It was such a great shirt. But that means there's a culture that goes with that. 
In, in your culture, whatever you grew up in, what were you raised to believe about apologizing and forgiving? Let me just give you an example of what this means. Maybe some of you grew up in a culture of honor and shame. Now, that sounds upright, almost biblical, like who wouldn't want to grow up in an honorable culture? Um, let me explain this a little bit. That means you can never call out the offense your parents made towards you or your grandparents made towards you. Maybe that's not true and you grew up in an honor-shame culture, but some families, I know this is true. Which means this, you as the offended, you just have to carry that with you. Because as as an honor-shame culture, the older person, the parent, the grandparent, they can't really, in a clear, straight way, apologize to you because they might lack honor for that. And if you're the parent or the grandparent, you're like, I have to do this in a very subtle, sly kind of way. If not, I will lose face and I won't be able to show honor. I'm going to be super clear about this. As a parent, as a grandparent, as an older person in your family, as the example and the role model, one of the greatest gifts you can ever give your family is to look them straight in the face and say, I was wrong. I was wrong about this. And I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Because at what age do you stop modeling humility? You don't outgrow that. Sorry if I'm strong on this, but I've seen so many people carry the wounds of this for so long. And parents and grandparents and senior people, you can give this gift to people. You might think, listen, I could never do that in my culture, in my family. Uh, If that's true for you, then just understand what you're saying. The culture of my family supersedes the culture of Jesus that he's establishing in the Gospels. You sure you won't say that? I don't think we do. We have to know where the culture of our family doesn't agree with the culture of the Bible and go, Jesus, I'm a follower of you before I'm ever a child of my family. Um, there's a huge movement in the world today to be culturally sensitive. And listen, hear me. I think it's great. When you're in the workplace, particularly Silicon Valley, you're going to be face-to-face with all kinds of cultures. You better know how what you say is going to be received by the other person. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you say something in such a way and they grew up in a different culture and like, actually, that's offensive or they're not going to know what you're talking about, you got to be able to give and receive. they got to understand your culture too. That's fantastic. But when the culture prevents us from following Jesus's teaching on how to apologize and extending forgiveness, we're wrong. Jesus's culture supersedes the culture that we have. Um, By the way, are you familiar with the Jewish holiday called Yom Kippur? It means the Day of Atonement. It's actually uh, September, I think, 24th and 25th of this year. Um, The Day of Atonement means this. It's when you celebrate God's forgiveness of you. Jewish holiday, right? Here's what's so interesting about it. Leading up to Yom Kippur, there's actually this this week long of making amends and apologizing to people. This Jewish celebration is actually the most, the highest and holiest like celebration of all the year. Here's what's so fascinating. It's not just about God's forgiveness of them. It's about them extending grace amends and apologies and forgiveness to each other. We don't even have this as a Christian religion. We got two big holidays, right? Christmas, the gift of of baby Jesus to the world to come and die for the sins of the world. And then Easter, right? I know you're like, I know those are the two Sundays I come to church. Awesome. But think about it. They're ball vertical. God sends Jesus down so one day we can go up, right? 
Easter, Jesus dies on a cross, is resurrected. And again, it's about our forgiveness. Do we even have a Christian holiday that celebrates the horizontal forgiveness of one another? No, we don't. I'm not saying we need to put a new holiday on the calendar. I'm just saying that we don't really take the words of Jesus seriously. But Jesus' followers did. So much so that when they wrote letters to each other, they're called the epistles. It just means letters in the New Testament. All kinds of words like this. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I could go to a dozen more verses in the scriptures, in the epistles that talk to these church people that Paul was writing letters to, to say this. No, 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 you need to forgive each other. It's just as important as God's forgiveness towards you. We're going to talk about this for the next three weeks. And as we do, I pray this. Some of your relationships are restored. That some of you will forgive in a way you've never forgiven before. That God might take a hurt in your heart and actually heal it through the obedience of forgiveness. And I pray this too, that some of you will have the courage to go back and apologize. And maybe that person doesn't even know that you've offended them because it's been all done behind their back. But I hope in this series that we're going to talk about for three weeks, that we start putting the culture of Jesus, his word of apology and forgiveness above the culture that we were raised with. But I invite you today to have that discussion with those that know you and love you well. That you might be vulnerable enough to say, this is how I grew up. But this is how I want to start living when it comes to apologies and culture. More on that next week. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your grace and thanks for your goodness. And I hope that today some of your words are so shocking to us that it might shock us into really opening your word and looking at our own lives and seeing if there's actual agreement there. God, thank you for these folks. And I'd ask your blessing on them today, but a blessing as we walk in obedience of apology and forgiveness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said,